You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Week five of Daniel. We're in chapter three uh, of Daniel. Uh, just a, a wonderful book so far, and looking forward to our many weeks remaining in this. You know, this week I heard a story of a, of a mother uh, lamenting about her five year old son's interaction at a convenience store. Uh, he walked up to a stranger that was an amputee. He had his leg removed. He stared intently at this man and then at his legs. And then the young child stared at his legs, and then void of emotion, and with just a hint of suspicion, he asked the man, hey, where's your legs at? Hey, friends. We uh, actually had some issues with our live stream, and so we lost uh, the audio for a couple minutes here in the middle of Steve's sermon, Um, but we are going to pick it back up right here. Points of clarity. These names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, maybe you've heard these names. These are the Babylonian names for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names. These are their Babylonian names. What I want you to notice is that he didn't hide. They're in the midst of public. They're in the mass sea of people. It would have been easy for them to slip into some place that probably was less visible and there resolve themselves to take a stand. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't. Now, there's certainly a chance that people will see them make this stand, but not report them. But there seems to be a bit of jealousy that is going on in the Babylonian wise men council. Specifically, an anti-Semitic notion against the Jews that had been brought in from their kingdom into Babylon. And so those in charge see this as an opportunity to get rid of these three friends, these three wise men from Judea. Now, I also want you to note, did you see their protest? Did you you see them get angry? Uh, They had this quiet strength. Nowhere is it recorded that they lobbied protest. Or or they demanded their voices to be heard. They didn't froth with anger and being forced to do something that they felt compromised their belief. There was no angry Facebook rant. There was no horrible yard sign with vulgar language. They vowed to be faithful to God in their action and in their character. And they let God sort it out from there. And they didn't bow. They did not bow. But there was all good reason to compromise. The pressure, the music, the furnace. It it would have been easy for them to rationalize that I will just bow this one time. I'll stay strong in heart. I'll bow just this one time. Or to maybe make a small act of resistance or defiance to say, I'll bow my knee, but I won't bow my head in worship to this image. But neither of those or an option for these friends. Their integrity and belief in who God is will not be compromised. 
Now, they don't deny what is being told of them. We remember that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in good standing with Nebuchadnezzar. Now, mostly, that had to do with a person named Daniel, which brings a question. Where's Daniel in chapter 3? We can rest to believe that if Daniel was available in this kingdom, if he was here, he would be standing with these three friends. It seems obvious that he probably was on business for the king in other regions. But I also think it gives us a, a wonderful point. Uh, Daniel sometimes comes off as this messiah figure here in the Old Testament. And here are his three friends without him. And I think that points to us is that, yes, Jesus Christ is what we worship and love, but he has called us not to be passive in this generation, but us ourselves to be faithful to him as he is to us. They could have made the case that, that they did And maybe they lie to Nebuchadnezzar and they make it a whole, like, who are you going to believe here? But they don't do that. That's not an option for these friends. And in the moment with King Nebuchadnezzar, they double down. They're called into a private meeting with Nebuchadnezzar where they're confronted out of the sight of the hustle and the bustle of all those who are present in the day, away from the music, in the presence, in the confines of the king's quarter. They're confronted about not bowing to the king. They're given a chance to save face. They could have made private concession here in front of the king and saved face publicly. The people in the world didn't have to know that they bowed. But King Nebuchadnezzar would not get what he wanted. They refused to bow. And then on their way to the furnace, they did not back down. Uh, The king has made the furnace seven times hotter than it originally was. It's so hot that those who went to escort Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were burned alive. Yet these three men never took heart, never turned back. Uh, Maybe God spared them from feeling the heat that was progressing upon them, or maybe it was their faith. But in either situation, When the temperature rose and the furnace came near, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not yield. In the most dire of situations, they kept their faith. And I think the phrase that sums up these three men is what they said defiantly to this king. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your image. He is able to deliver us. He will deliver us. But if not, we still will not back down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were courageous enough to believe in the character and the faithfulness of God. But they resolved to submit to him no matter what the situation They knew what the king didn't know. They knew what the world at that time didn't know, that even through death, they could be delivered. Because for the people of God, by faith in Christ, death is not the end, but we are delivered through death into eternity. Deliverance can come through death, friends. Let's pick this back up to end 
chapter 3. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the, the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire furnace. And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over their bodies of, these men, of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, whom trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. And their house, houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then King Nebuchadnezzar prompted Shadrach, Meshach, promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now, most theologians believe that what we're seeing in the fire with these three men in the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar and due to his description of what he's seeing, that it looked like the sons of God, that we believe this is in fact a pre-incarnate Christ in the fire with him. It's one of 10 different times in our Old Testament that we see a pre-incarnated Christ in our Old Testament. And so what does this mean, right? This is the work of God, right? It is obvious that the writer wants to make this known, that this is the work of God. They are bound, thrown in, fell into the fire. They were clothed from head to toe with literally kindling. Fire would erupt at a moment that it touched their tunics, this was done by the hand of God. They didn't find just so happens this kind of decent spot in the fiery furnace that was maybe 120 degrees and they were able through their own human ingenuity to survive this thing. No, their survival was only by the hand of God. The authors make us known to us. Not even the smell of smoke was to be noticed. And so what is and so what is all of this story of the fiery furnace, of this the image, what does it mean to us. Well, maybe your brain has already gone there somewhere in the sermon. Uh, most of us know that Babylon is not the only polaristic society that has tried to pressure its people to bow their knee to the God of the world. The spirit of Babylon is alive in our day. Uh, there is an image, there is a power of the day in America that we are pressured to bow down to, an image that is redefined for us to worship in addition to our God. We are led to believe that we can practice our faith as we want, but what it really means is that in private, you can practice as you like, but in public, you must bow your knee to the image of the world, lest you be called a bigot or a zealot or an extremist or a fundamentalist or canceled. And make no mistake, there is a sweet pressure 
in this world that allures us to bow our knee in this world to compromise our faith and our doctrine. And so if we say that we believe Jesus Christ to be who he says he is, it means that our faith can never be a private thing. To have a private thing, a private faith, is the evidence of a faith that is bowed to the world. To have a private faith is to have no faith at all because ultimately what we want is just to fit into the world. Now, I'm not saying when I say private, I'm not talking about the humble saint that lives a quiet, godly life in the world. But if we refuse to acknowledge who Jesus is and how we live, can we really truly say that we've ever called him Lord? We don't need to protest in vile anger. We don't need to seek vengeance as the people of God in this world. We are called as his people to live faithfully to who God is out of our love for him. And we let him sort out the rest. And I will say this, we have compromised. We have compromised. And I am not here to put a weight on anyone. Well, maybe I am. I just want to talk about truthful things. We have compromised. You know, studies today say that the same percentage of people that wait until marriage to have sex is the same whether you live in a house that, that te teaches the commandments of God, the value of abstinence and waiting, or in a household that tells its kids to seek the pleasure of the world. 26% in both categories remain pure unto marriage. Uh, the marriage, the divorce rate within the church and outside of the church is virtually the same. I, I'm not here to demean you. Like I, I, God's grace is available for all of us, and I am, I am needy of his grace. But those are not the only statistics. I mean, we think of the Sabbath, this day that God has made for rest. Do we really honor it, or do we bow our knee to culture? Do we more often than not take our cues from what works in the world, in our relationships, in our finances, and in our work than we do surrendering to what is right in the eyes of God. And I think one of the things that we just have to be honest about is who we side with in this story. I think when you read a story like this, it's easy to separate this into a story of good and evil and to ultimately side with the heroic people in the story and say, I want to do what they did. Tell me what they did. I want to do that. But this story here in chapter 3 is different for us. We must remember for the joy of our hearts that we are more like King Nebuchadnezzar than we are like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what I can say for myself is that if you give me enough time without intervention, without coming before the Lord, I will forget the faithfulness and the blessings that he's bestowed on my life. God has done some incredible things in our lives, have he not? But if we give ourselves enough time to think about ourselves, we will forget it all. And we will make statues of ourselves in the process. And maybe we won't say like Nebuchadnezzar said, who is the God that will rescue you from my hand? But we will say to the world, do you know who I am? 
Do you know what I've done? Do you know what you owe me or what I've given to you? How dare you treat me like that? We are quick to exalt ourselves as Lord over others. And I think a glorious truth that it teaches us, the faithful of God, is that we will suffer. God's faithful will suffer. We will be tested by the fire. It is inevitable. If, it, if we don't, if we don't, friends, it means that we have bowed our knee to the world. God's faithful will suffer for our faith. But here's our hope. Here's our hope. Is that in the midst of those trials, our God is with us. And not only do we have a God that is with us, we have a God that has gone through a greater furnace and a greater fire than we will ever walk through in our lives. That Jesus Christ descended into hell, defeated death, and has the keys of the gates of hell in his hands. So we can walk through every trial and situation knowing that our God is with us and he has done it to the nth degree more than we have. We can rest in his plan, that he might extend to us in our deliverance, grace, and forgiveness, but he might pull our hand, his hand back, and we might suffer, as the scripture says, for a brief and momentary time. But we remember that we, the believers of Christ, know deliverance through death. And I think, to end our time, Nebuchadnezzar says something wonderfully true. In the end, he gives more lip service to God but he reveals a wonderful truth. He says, for there is no other God who is able to rescue you in this way. And I say, amen. There is not another God in this world or another religion where the God of the universe came to the earth to spare us from the wrath of God for our sins and to deliver us from the folly of ourselves. Every other world religion teaches that you have to do something to earn God's favor, or it teaches that you have to reach some level of enlightenment in your disposition. Christianity is the only religion that makes the claim that God so loved the world that seeing our mess that we created in our own sin, he came to earth to do for us what we could not, to die a death that we deserve, to give us what we could never earn, unmerited, scandalous grace through faith. A righteousness, a right standing in front of God that is not our own, and peace to know this, that the only person that matters in the world, the sovereign God of the universe, is at peace with us through Christ. And that peace we rest in. God is able to rescue us. Now, there are some that will make an objection that say, so are you saying that we should live our lives with the exclusive belief that Jesus Christ is as he says he is, the way, the truth, and the life? And my response is, is yes. And, and many might say, well, that is, as Nebuchadnezzar feared, that is going to create a society of unrest, an upheaval, because ultimately, aren't you going to try to convert every single person to believe what you believe? And I would say, yes, I am. I am 
in that state of mind. But here's the difference. I am not unlike you who have an objection to that. Because your idea is this, is that everybody should just be able to get along, that everybody's faith matters. But you're trying to convert me to your version of God. Well, I'm telling you that there is a God that loves and knows you. And and look, there are people who say they love Jesus, who are in this world, and they do horrendous acts of violence. But let me assure you those who take a different viewpoint than mine. Let me give you some comfort. At the center of my hope, is a God that died for his enemies on the cross who willingly allowed his life to be taken by those who hate him, who called us to love people more than ourselves, to give up our lives in servanthood to this world. Jesus completely destroys the power structure that we see in this world. This isn't about power for the Christian. This is about you knowing the God that loved us when we were most unlovable. That is the glories of the gospel of Christ, that even at our worst, Christ loves us. We don't want power, we have Jesus, and we don't need anything else in this world. And our hope is that you know him too, that you know him not because we want to be exclusive, but is the only hope that we have in this life and death. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you And we praise you as sovereign, as holy, as infinite, as unchanging and mighty. Uh, Lord, I am one that is needy of grace. We are needy of your grace in this room. Lord, we don't want to possess a power. We don't want to possess a standing. We don't want to have a status. We don't want to have wealth and happiness. All the things that this world teaches us, all we want, Lord, will you make it the cry of our heart? All that we want is you. Because if we have you in this world and nothing else, our lives are full. And so, Lord, will you teach us today to humble ourselves to this word, to who you are, that we wouldn't resolve ourselves to live a private faith, to compromise ourselves in the world, but, Lord, that we would live with uncompromising values and strength, not to tell the world how good we are, but to reveal to the world how good you are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take away our anger our, our, our rage, maybe against the world, but Lord, that you would give us into our hearts a peace and a contentment knowing that we are just called to be faithful and that we'll, you'll sort out the rest. And so God, we thank you that we have that promise and we pray it through the one who made that promise possible for us through the blood of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.